There must be. And if we are honest, there will always be at least one situation in our lives that we cannot fix, control, explain, change, or even understand. I'd like to talk to you just for a few minutes about a big shift that happened at Willow Creek and with the Global Leadership Summit just a, a few weeks ago. I'd like to first read a statement by Bill Hybels, the founding pastor of Willow Creek and the founder of the Global Leadership Summit, and then I'll read something from the board of directors of the Willow Creek Association. Since the very first service of this church in a rented movie theater in 1975, our deepest passion has been to build a thriving Acts 2 church for the glory of the one whose name we bear, a community where lost people could be found, found people could grow to full maturity in the faith, lonely people could be enfolded into life-giving community, people in need could be loved and served, bored people could find a pulse-quickening purpose. Together, gender, racial, and generational chasms could be bridged, the Holy Spirit would guide every aspect of church life. Having a front row seat the last 42 years to watch God fulfill this grand vision has been the greatest thrill and privilege of my life. Then add to that the fact that beyond our walls, God birthed and multiplied the Global Leadership Summit to where it now develops leaders in 130 countries, only God. Now, given my love for both this church and the Leadership Summit, you can imagine how grieved I have been by the way the controversy surrounding me has impacted both these ministries. Therefore, I have decided to accelerate my planned retirement date from October of this year to tonight. This decision was mine and mine alone. But after much discussion, my decision earned the unanimous support of the elders and the executive team. Further, I've decided to step out of my usual teaching and hosting roles at the upcoming Global Leadership Summit. Going forward, I feel the need to humbly look deep inside myself and determine what God wants to teach me. I intend to continue to surround myself with wise counselors and trusted friends and to ask them to speak honestly into my life so that I can learn every single lesson I need to learn from all of this. I have complete peace about this decision and will not rush this process. Your prayers would be much appreciated during this upcoming season of reflection. Let me humbly acknowledge three things I have done. First, my response to some of these recent accusations was anger. If I could go back, I would have chosen to listen first and then to seek to learn and understand. I apologize for a response that was defensive instead of one that invited conversation and learning. Secondly, I realize now that in certain settings and circumstances in the past, I communicated things that were perceived in ways I did not intend, at times making people feel uncomfortable. I was blind to this dynamic for far too long. For that, I'm very sorry. Thirdly, I too often placed myself in situations that 
would have been far wiser to avoid. I was at times naive about the dynamics those situations created. I'm sorry for the lack of wisdom on my part. I commit to never putting myself in similar situations in the future. From the Global Leadership Summit Willow Creek Association Board. Dear Global Leadership Summit community, as each day brings us closer to the Global Leadership Summit, our expectations and excitement continues to grow as we prepare for an experience God will use in powerful and transformative ways in cities around the world, in businesses, churches, nonprofits, and the lives of individuals. There's no question that Bill has had a significant impact on this ministry, but the summit has never been about one person. It has only ever been about the mission to energize Christians and mobilize churches globally by growing their leadership skills and commitment to maximize the kingdom. To that end, the WCA Board of Directors is meeting often to pray, seek, and discern God's leading as we face this challenge. As we discussed and discerned how we learn and lead through this situation, we reconfirm our commitment to, one, continuing to be at the forefront, especially in the church, in empowering women in leadership. Two, caring deeply for the women who have stepped forward and brought their concerns to light. We will reach out and seek to listen to all with love and respect. Three, walking with Bill Hybels during an appropriate season of reflection, providing support and help that can lead to a place of reconciliation and restoration. Bill is no longer on the WCA board and has no role in the WCA or the Global Leadership Summit. Our prayer is that together we take the steps necessary to ensure that truth is known and healing can begin. I'd like to read one verse of scripture. These statements in their entirety are available at the Connection Center today. James chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Teaching the word of God is a humbling responsibility. It comes with a, a weight of leadership. It comes with a responsibility for reverence. It comes with a calling to bring hope and dignity to all, to bring the love of God into every situation. My prayer is that for both Bill Hybels, his wife Lynn, their family, and the entire Willow Creek family, and Bill Hybels is a very good friend of mine, um, my prayer is that God will lead through this time, that God will, will bring deep understanding and wisdom to Bill and to the board, the board of elders of Willow Creek, the board of the Willow Creek Association, and that there would be healing, that there would be community, that there would be forgiveness, and that all the things that the Bible talks about would be revealed in this community of faith. I covet your prayers for them. And uh, as was mentioned, the, the Leadership Summit is, is not one person. 
while God gave a great vision to Bill Hybels, uh, it's so much more. It's a, it's a global phenomenon. And, uh, and we're going to have it here in August, as we have always had it. And I invite you to be a part of that. Dear Heavenly Father, guide us in our thoughts now, in our prayers. Guide us to be humble recipients of your love and your grace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. John 13. Jesus knew that the Father had put him in complete charge of everything. That he came from God and was on his way back to God. So he got up from the supper table, set aside his robe, and put on an apron. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the feet of the disciples, drying them with his apron. When he got to Simon Peter, Peter said, Master, you wash my feet? Jesus answered, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but it will be clear to you later. After he had finished washing their feet, he took his robe, put it back on, and went back to his place at the table. Then he said, do you understand what I have done to you? You address me as teacher and master, and rightly so. That is what I am. So if I, the master and teacher, washed your feet, you must now wash each other's feet. I've laid down a pattern for you. What I've done, you do. I'm only pointing out the obvious. John Maxwell in his book, The 17 Indisputable Laws of Teamwork, comments on the law of the edge. Personnel determine the potential of the team. Vision determines the direction of the team. Work ethic determines the preparation of the team. Leadership determines the success of the team. But I tell you, there is something more than that. There's something so much more. The soul of leadership. The soul of leadership. Today, I'd like to whet your appetite for a banquet of learning and growing that will happen in August right here. The Global Leadership Summit has changed my life in a thousand small little ways. Over 20 years of leadership summits have changed me. And the Global Leadership Summit has changed my life in dozens and dozens of, of big ways, big ways that help me teach, help me lead, help me follow Jesus better. I want this experience for you. I want it so much. There's, there's not a leadership event in the world that is any better. And I've been to dozens and dozens and dozens of events like this. There's not a better opportunity for you to go to something for two days and see life impact and life change. Maxwell talks about two myths of leadership. The first myth he calls 
the myth of the head table. Or more aptly put, there's a person who usually sits at the head of the table. And people look to that person. The person might be called the chair. That person might be called the senior pastor. That person might be called the chairman of the board. That person might be called grandpa. But there's a person who sits there. And the myth is this, that one person is always doing the leading. One person comes back to one. And it's not true. I cannot do all the leading in this church, nor do I want to, nor do I. It takes elders to lead. It takes ministry leaders to lead. It takes dozens and dozens of volunteers to lead. It takes a capable ministry staff to lead. Leadership is never just done by a person. It doesn't, doesn't work like that. Never has, never will. If you look around the world system, wherever you see somebody who thinks that they're in a position in a seat where they themselves are leading and they force that upon others, it's not leadership. The second myth, the myth of the round table. This one maybe is even more difficult to, to talk about. The myth of the round table. Everybody's got a seat at the table. And the myth is that everybody, everyone on the team is equal. It's not true. Now, every one of us is equal before God. But around a table with a team, everyone is not equal. Think of the cleanup batter in baseball. They've earned that spot because of a special skill or expectation of potential. Think of a person around the table who has great administrative giftedness. And maybe no one else rises to that level of administrative giftedness. That gift has been given by a God who knows that we need someone who takes care of details. That person is not equal to others, nor are they to him or her. And that's okay because that's the way God designed it. Paul wrote about it when he talked about the body of Christ. Think about somebody who's, who's gifted in, in working with children. You do not want me running the Palooza. I can't do it. I love to see it done. The table. People seated at the table. Not everyone is equal. And it becomes a dance of those who, who rise to their highest level of giftedness and give it away into the church, into what God is doing. And those who are creating a sense of shared ownership of leadership becomes a, a dance. And together, God does his finest work. And so let me talk to you about two days this summer when I know God's going to do some of his finest work in us and through us as we allow him to shape and retool parts of our lives that, that need reshaping and retooling. And I'm the first one who needs that. What I'd like to do this morning is give you a couple of, of tastes of the summit. My first taste of the summit is Patrick Lencioni, one of my favorite business speakers and writers, speaks all over the country to big companies, consults with big companies in terms of strategy and, and vision and management. And this is 
from a book called The Ideal Team Player where he describes very simply what an ideal team player looks like. So let's go ahead and find the model. Okay, so the ideal team player is compri comprised of a person that has three virtues. The first of which is humility. Uh, an ideal team player is humble. That's not a big surprise, but to be a great team player, you have to be humble. Okay, what does that mean? Well, that means you're more interested in others than in yourself. You're not about ego. You're about the greater good rather than in your own needs. You're not arrogant. That's the most classic definition of humility. We know a person that doesn't look humble, arrogant, self-centered, ego-driven. Okay, and that is really the most important definition we have to understand. But I want to caution you because sometimes we meet a person that doesn't seem to be ego-driven and arrogant, and we think, well, they're humble. And sometimes they're not. Sometimes they simply lack self-confidence, which is actually a violation of humility. You see, I think the best definition I ever heard of humility was that it's just the recognition of that which is true. And what is true is God is God, I'm not God, and so that's who I am. And if he gave me a skill, he gave me a skill. If he didn't, he didn't. And if we can just come to terms with that. Now, a person who denies their own skills, who downplays their abilities, tends to not weigh in at meetings, not to, to passionately argue for something that's right. They say, okay, I don't need to be heard. That's not humility. That's not humility. As Ken Blanchard likes to say, quoting C.S. Lewis, Humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking about yourself less. And that's what we're looking for there. So it's not a lack of confidence. So humility is the first necessary and the most important criteria of a, of a team player. And you know, pride is the root of all sin, right? Humility is the antidote to pride, so that makes sense that that's the most important. Now the second value or virtue of an ideal team player is hunger. You have to be hungry. A hungry person is pretty straightforward. It's somebody who has a strong work ethic, they always want to do more. They want to go above and beyond. They hate the idea of anyone ever considering them to be a slacker. They are generally passionate about what they're doing, and they will do whatever is necessary to get it done. Okay, hunger is pretty straightforward. Ironically, it might be the hardest one to instill in someone later in life, but it's the easiest one to understand. Okay, okay. the final virtue of an ideal team player is smart. Now, but this is not intellectual smarts. This is, as Travis talked about in much more detail than I could or will, about really emotional intelligence. It's really about people smarts, common sense around people. And Travis and I were talking about this before my talk a few days ago, and we agreed that what this is is really people that are good at practicing those behaviors, those four behaviors of an emotionally intelligent person. It's a person who goes to meetings and knows that when they say or do something, they know how it's going to impact the people around them. Or if someone's in a bad mood or is feeling upset about something, they notice it and they adjust to that. So smart, in this case, is about people smarts, common sense around people. Why do I call it smart? One, because I did for years. We thought that's really what smart is. It's not intelligent. Because I think a person who's intelligent but doesn't treat people well is not smart at all. So we, and, and we like the fact that people would ask, what do you mean by smart? Because we really wanted them to, to help them understand that in spite of what most people do, hiring people for intelligence is not a great idea. And you can use that as a, as a diagnostic for your own life right now. Am I humble? Do I think of myself less and think about 
how I can serve more? Am I hungry? Is there a passion in my life to do what God has equipped me to do? Do I realize what's going on in a room that's between the lines on the agenda? Do I realize what's going on in the room when I see sadness on somebody's face or I see somebody kind of being distracted and I, I, I say, Sally or John, it kind of looks like right now you're thinking of something else. Uh, is there something that, that we need to, to really talk about? We can, we can do this agenda thing later, but what's, what's really going on? And when you become this ideal team player, it's, it's a blessing that you give to others. It's a blessing that God gives to others through you. John Maxwell is, uh, is just one of the most respected leadership teachers in the world. Uh, he is going to be at this year's summit. He's part of the faculty that has been added. I always look forward to, to listening to John and this message that he gave, uh, I believe a couple years ago, uh, has always stayed with me. And I call this uphill all the way. The only thing you need to achieve significance is to be intentional. Every major accomplishment starts with the first step. Leadership expert, best-selling author, and coach John C. Maxwell helps leaders pursue a more meaningful existence with his new book, Intentional Living, Choosing a Life That Matters. In 2014, John was named the number one leader in business by the American Management Association and the most influential leadership expert in the world by Business Insider and Inc. Magazine. As the founder of the John Maxwell Company, Equip, the John Maxwell Team, and the John Maxwell Leadership Foundation, he has trained more than six million leaders from every country in the world. The recipient of the Luminary Leadership Network's Mother Teresa Prize for Global Peace and Leadership, John speaks each year to Fortune 500 companies, presidents of nations, and many of the world's top business leaders. A few years ago, I was speaking at the United Nations, and I was speaking to the ambassadors, and I realized all the different cultures that would be there, and they wanted me to talk to them for two hours on leadership. And so I shared with him in that time period that there are three questions that followers ask leaders. Three questions. Doesn't matter the culture, doesn't matter the country, doesn't even matter the time. There are three questions that followers ask leaders. And question number one is, do you like me? Do you like me? Well, why would I want to follow someone that doesn't care for me? Question number two is, can you help me? I mean, if I follow you, is it going to get better? Are you going to lift me? I mean, why would I get in line if my life isn't going to be any better because of you? And the third question, can I trust you? Can I trust you? Are, are, are you going to take my life and are you going to manipulate it or are you going to take my life and are you truly going to make it better? And what's interesting about those three questions, I mean, do you like me? That's about compassion. You know, can you help me? That's about competence. You know, do, can I trust you? That, that's about character. Well, what's interesting about those three questions is basically those three questions that the person is asking, will you add value to my life? And intentionally, adding value to people 
when we do it on an everyday consistent basis, things begin to become absolutely amazing. Now, let me give you a visual. Everything worthwhile is uphill. Everything. Life's not easy, never has been, isn't supposed to be. Everything that you and I have in our life, if it's precious and it's beautiful, it's uphill. If you have a great marriage, relationally, working on that every day, it's uphill all the way. Trust me. If you're going to be a healthy person, it's uphill all the way. It's uphill all the way. If, if you're going to be successful in life, if you're going to build a business, it, it's uphill all the way. Trust me, I, I've never heard a person that built a business or was successful and they ask, well, how did, you, how did you get here? I've never seen a person just look at the camera and say, wow, I have no idea. <laughs> Honest to God, I just woke up. <laughs> woo No, that leader knows exactly how they got there because it's uphill all the way. And here's the problem. People have uphill hopes. And they have downhill habits. And the only way that you and I can break a downhill habit is to get intentional in our life. So I'm willing to bet that right now you have something uphill going on in your life and it's uphill all the way and you're feeling it and I want to guarantee you that if you will lean in to two days in August you will get strength for that uphill journey you'll get wisdom for that uphill journey you'll define the uphill journey you'll defeat the downhill habits and you'll get where God wants you to go I want to give you two more tastes of the summit the first one is Danielle Strickland uh, she's an officer in the Salvation Army has a great style, brings great wisdom through a simple story here. I call this, Who Are You? You just play the tape. And listen to me right now. I know there are so many of you here with the tape playing. Every time an opportunity comes, every time you get interrupted, anytime God comes through and says, hey, mighty warrior, hey, you're the light of the world, hey, you're a leader, hey, you're the one, hey, this is going to happen, you're like, but I'm the wrong gender, I don't have the right education. On and on it goes, I'm not in the right spot, I don't have the right position, I'm not the right person, I don't have the kind of skills, and on and on and on those tapes go, and God's just like, stop the tape. 
And there is this invitation if we're gonna enter into the shalom of God to get it on the inside of us as well as to take it into the world is we've gotta stop playing that tape and we have to replace it with the tape that God plays for us and we have to come into agreement with who we already are in God, what he already says about us. My son Judah, he gets this right away. He's six years old, I'm having coffee with a friend the other day and he comes running in, he's a big superhero fan. He comes running in, he jumps on the ottoman, he says, ta-da! I'm Superman. He's got this Superman costume on. We're like, ah, Superman. And he goes off and he changes and he comes and he jumps. He says, ta-da, I'm the Incredible Hulk. And we're all like, that's amazing, Incredible Hulk. My friend looks at me saying, how long is this gonna take? I said, it could be a while. He's got the whole Avengers set, you know. <laughs> Finally, Judah comes in and he's just literally wearing his white little underwear. Just in tidy whities He jumps up on the ottoman. He's like, ta-da. And we're like, ha, 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 you're, he looks at us and he goes, it's me, Judah. <laughs> God wants you. He wants you for who you are. He wants you for who you are and he calls it out. And one of the invitations you have today is to stop the tape, come into the shalom of God, come into the center of God. In Romans 12, 1, there's a very well-known verse it says to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Present you, present who you are. Ta-da, here I am, God. I'm going to show up for whatever you want me to do. And that's something that you're going to get encouragement about as you lean in to the calling of God upon your life. Who are you? God's made you who you are, and he's got something for you to do. And then finally, Chris Brown. And uh, he's a very creative Bible teacher. What I love about the summit is you're going to get wisdom for business. You're going to get wisdom for relationships. You're going to get wisdom for your life. And you're going to get biblical wisdom that can be foundational for your life. Chris Brown is just a great Bible teacher. And this story I call, Whose Kingdom Is It? And when they came to their next destination, and in Mark chapter 9, he simply looked at him and says, well, what were you guys arguing about on the road? And none of them wanted to say a word. And the Bible has to cover for them because they're not speaking. It says no one talked because they argued about which one of them was the greatest. There's the heart of leadership. This constant source of me going, this better be about Chris. When do I get mine? When do I make this about me? When does the church grow? When do the finances change? When does the company more? When do the quarterlies pan out? When do we reach the goal? When do I make this bigger? How do we make it grander? And have we hit so well so far already in this conference? There's nothing wrong with desire. But we have to keep in mind, whose kingdom is this? Because there's a tendency for all of us, even in the heart of those that are walking with Jesus, handpicked by him himself, I want you to be great. You understand what greatness looks like in, in the world's leadership. He goes, let me show you something. There's the new definition. You're like, oh, it looks kind of upside down. It's yes. And I want to spend the rest of the time I have talking about what's this look like? Because some of you are going, wait, 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 wait. You, you asking me to give away my title, my position, my platform? 
No, Jesus is. <laughs> I want to explain a little how. <laughs> I would never tell you. I'm James and John. I'm like, one or two. That's your options right here. He's my brother. I'll, let, I'll go second to him, but one and two. The problem is the moment I became a follower of Christ, whatever company, whatever you're running, whatever your position, whatever your title, he goes, now let me tell you, you got to do this. You know it's about leading others. You're the boss. You're the one. It's a hierarchy. That's the way the world's set up. Not so with you. And if you get confused and go, I don't think he's really meaning that. He goes, no, no, look what I did. He's the one with the title. He's the one with the position. And he's the one that picked up a towel. And said, this is how we're going to do this, guys. And let me tell you, it's not going to be easy. Personnel determine the potential of the team. Vision determines the direction of the team. Work ethic determines the preparation of the team. Leadership determines the success of the team. And we know that. But there is something more. Jesus knew that the Father had put him in complete charge of everything. You know what that means in the Greek? Complete charge of everything. He's in charge of what? Everything. That he came from God. And he was on his way back to God. So he got up from the supper table, set aside his robe, and put on an apron. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the feet of the disciples, drying them with his apron. They had never seen anything like this before. They'd never imagined anything like this before. He was at the top of the organization. This is the organization upside down. When he got to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Master, you wash my feet. He was incredulous about this. Jesus answered, you don't understand now what I'm doing. But it will be clear enough to you later. You're going to get this. And when you get this, you will really understand who I am and what my kingdom is about. After he had finished washing their feet, he took his robe, put it back on, and went back to his place at the table. You can imagine the hush. I could see him looking at each one of them. Then he said, do you understand what I have done to you? This was a a living parable, a visual, tangible parable simply put before them that was about something so huge, so overwhelming. Do you understand what I have done to you? You address me as teacher and master, and rightly so. That is what I am. So if I, the master and teacher, washed your feet. You must now wash each other's feet. They have never thought of this before. The world works in hierarchies. The world works top down. I say jump. You say how high. I say get it done. You get it done. 
Jesus said, you must now wash each other's feet. This is a whole different way that we're going to work. I've laid down a pattern for you. What I've done, you do. I'm only pointing out the obvious. This is the soul of leadership. At the end of the day, vision will get you so far. And then there'll have to be another vision. And there'll have to be another exciting moment. At the end of the day, strategy will just get you so far. Then you'll have to change the strategy next year because of the, the shifting parameters of the culture you're in. At the end of the day, your leadership insights will only get you so far. Then somebody else is going to have a different leadership insight and they're going to write another book. And so your life can become what Solomon wrote about in Ecclesiastes. The sun rises and the sun sets and just keeps going around and around and around. But the soul of leadership, that's life. The soul of leadership, that's what we're doing. That's who we are. Why? Because that's what he said and that's what he taught us. You want to come to a hierarchy? Don't come here. You want to get involved in the soul of leadership, you want to get down and wash feet, come here. You want to be known for your great foot washing skill, come here. Because the truth is that the body of Christ, the church, is much, much more about foot washing than it is about anything else. Any ministry that's worth its weight in ministry, if I can say that, is is a foot washing endeavor. So washed any feet lately? Got your eye on any feet to wash? Want to get down on your knees and do something that is not easy to do, that's, that's humble, that doesn't ask for anything in return? That's the soul of leadership. So we can go to all the conferences and, and I want to go because I want to learn. But it doesn't matter unless we embrace the soul of leadership, unless we live the soul of leadership, unless we are the soul of leadership together. I've been to too many places where the hierarchy defines things. It's not about hierarchy. Jesus made it very, very clear. Whose kingdom is it anyway? You can and must acknowledge the value of leadership. You can and must take responsibility for your leadership growth. You can and must find a leadership mentor, but it won't matter a hill of beans if you don't embrace and live the soul of leadership. So come if you want to live the soul of leadership. Come if you want to be a foot washer. Come if you want to be humble, hungry, and smart, because the ideal team player is always washing feet. Dear Heavenly Father, we know that, that 
one person can't lead, that it takes all of us, Father. And we know that you have uniquely gifted certain people within the body of Christ to have extraordinary gifts in, in a certain area. And we look at them and we are thankful for them as they pull things together, as they lead well. Father, teach us this, this dance of leadership. Teach us the soul of leadership and teach it to us over and over and over again until we really get it, until we really have it in our hearts, until we just walk it out every single day. Father, let the church be a complete and overwhelming foot washing experience. Father, as we give our lives to you again today, draw us into the unfolding dynamic drama of your kingdom. It is your kingdom. We are your servants. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven through us. In Jesus' name, amen.